0: When I came to, I hurt so bad. The pain was just excruciating. And I knew the minute that I opened my eyes that I was going to die. There wasn't a question in my mind whether I was going to die or not. I knew it was going to happen. I just wanted it to happen quickly so that I could be relieved of the pain.
1: Welcome to Meridian Magazine's How I Know podcast. This is Scott and Maureen Proctor. Today, we're with McKay Christensen, who had a life-changing experience early on in his life, which has impacted his whole life. McKay, tell us about that.
0: I'd be happy to, and thanks for having me here. When I was 15, I was uh, a young man, and uh, I worked on a farm. And I worked on a farm because our family didn't have quite enough money, and I had to earn my own money if I wanted to, to support the activities that I was doing as a teenager. And at the time, I would describe myself as wandering. I don't think I was off track, so to speak, in the spiritual life, but I surely didn't have the testimony or the habits or the patterns in my life that would sustain me as I got older. And uh, I think the Lord was aware of that was 15 years old working on a sod farm. You know, the sod that you cut when you grow up grass and they put it in strips or rolls and they bring it to your house and you get an immediate green lawn. Uh, this was on the very same property where the, the uh, Payson Temple sits today. And we were moving the sod harvester from one end of the field to the other early in the morning. The sod harvester was a great big machine, weighed about 14 ton with a driver and two platforms over the Two sets of four wheels, two sets of dual wheels on each side had big platforms over the top and we would stand on top of these platforms and we would stack the sod onto big pallets. We were moving the machine from one end of the field to the other. I was walking alongside my friend who was sitting sideways on these platforms with his legs hanging over the sides of the wheels as the wheels uh, turned as the machine was moving forward. And the machine was moving about a mile and a half and I was walking alongside and thought, Oh I'll jump up and sit next to my friend. So I turned with my back facing the machine, jumped so that my rear end could land on the platform and I could sit next to him, but I overestimated the jump and I jumped too hard. I jumped too hard. I hit the front of the platform. I fell and I landed directly in front of the wheels. And because I was expecting it, I landed on my feet and I was going to jump out of the way of the wheels, but I had high top sneakers on, and the knobby tires on these dual wheels caught my sneakers, and I couldn't pull my feet out of my sneakers to escape. So the wheels caught my right foot, ran up my right leg, threw me onto the ground. Now, here I was in quite a predicament. I was lying feet first with my feet under the wheels, and the machine was going to roll over me from my feet to my head, and there was nothing that I could do about it. The first thing that happened was it ran over my knee and when it hit my femur, it broke my femur in half. As it hit my pelvis and I was lying on my side, my pelvis crushed like this and then turned to the side. It broke my back in two places and twisted me sideways and ran up over my chest and barely missed my head, rolling over my left shoulder, breaking most of my ribs. It was extremely painful. And I immediately passed out after the machine ran off of me. When I came to, I hurt so bad. The pain was just excruciating. And I knew the minute that I opened my eyes that I was going to die. There wasn't a question in my mind whether I was going to die or not. I knew it was going to happen. I just wanted it to happen quickly so that I could be relieved of the pain. And the only thought that occupied my mind was, how long will this take until I'm done? Uh, The thought that I was going to live never entered into my mind. Well, during the time that I had passed out, the driver went and got Stan, the farm manager, and Stan came up just then. He saw the predicament that I was in. I was lying on my back. He knelt down and he put his hands underneath my head and started to give me a blessing. Uh, What Stan didn't know, but was causing most of my pain, was that I had a pneumothorax. My lungs had collapsed. And the air had left my... Lungs and gone into my chest cavity, and it couldn't escape. So, as a result, my lungs were pushed together like wet paper sacks, and I couldn't expand my lungs in order to breathe. And I don't know if you've never been not able to breathe, but everything hurts your brain hurts, your head hurts, your heart hurts, your chest, everything is screaming in pain. And in order to breathe, I had to expand my chest cavity to make more room for the very top of my lungs to expand so that I could get a little air in. And every time I moved, my broken ribs would move along with it. It was the worst pain I've ever felt. Stan put his hands under my head and started to give me a priesthood blessing. And I don't know what possessed him or inspired him to do this, but it wasn't a normal blessing. Stan started to make declarations about my life, proclamations as to what was going to happen. I bless you, McKay, that you will walk again. I bless you that you will finish high school and graduate from high school." And he kept going. Uh, Every time that he made a declaration, it was like I had this tug of war going on inside of me. I knew I was going to die, but on the opposite side were the words that Stan was saying to me, and it was pulling me in an opposite direction. And he, he would say, McKay, you're going to serve a mission. And when he'd make these declarations, I thought in my mind, oh, well, maybe I can hang on for another minute. And he'd make another declaration, McKay, you will get married in the temple. And I think, okay, I can hold on for two. Another declaration, McKay, you will become a leader and you will influence many people in your life. Okay, I can hold on for four or five. And the longer he talked, the more my faith started to grow. And sure enough, Uh, I was able to survive the accident. Now, I had a lot of months. I had to learn to walk again, spent a lot of time in the hospital. I still have injuries from the accident today, but the words that he gave to me were powerful. I learned from the experience that there is power in the Word and that it is up to us when we lay hold upon the Word that is given to us, great things, miracles, can happen. And it, these words that Stan gave to me at the time became a pattern for my life. I had it laid out, and I remember the words still today. I would graduate from high school. I did. I would serve a mission, which I did. I would go on to graduate from college. I did. I would try and help and become a leader. I tried, and in some ways I have. Uh, but these words became a great example to me. And the pattern of laying hold on the Word just didn't stop with Stan. It became something that I started to put into practice throughout my life. Just as the Book of Mormon said, whosoever will may lay hold upon the Word. And I think sometimes, I think it was Elder Uchtdorf who said, God is sending blessings down to us all the time. Uh, Kind of like wrapped gifts, wrapped packages falling down. And we don't always grab onto them. We don't lay hold upon them because we're distracted, because our minds are on other things. But I've kind of felt that way about this important lesson, is that God gave me those words, if I would lay hold on them, they could have a great impact on my life. And other words, like the scriptures, and other words, like those that you hear at priesthood meetings and in Relief Society meetings, uh, there's a pattern to laying hold on the Word Uh, that can save you, not just from an accident or from something else, but to save you in your life's course. You know, Later on in my life, these words have had a big impact on me when I decide whether to go to the temple or not. I just think back on the promises that were made to me and the words, and I lay hold on them, and I can go. I remember uh, I graduated from graduate school, and I got a job at Procter & Gamble, my dream job. I had reached a goal. I was so proud of myself. I, I, I parked across the freeway on my very first day, grabbed my empty briefcase, I had my suit on, and I walked across the overpass thinking I had done something remarkable in my life. And uh, as I did, uh, I was walking along and I was looking down. And I remember Stan saying to me, you're going to Get a job and be a leader. And I thought, here I am. I might just do what he said. And then I remembered the very first thing he said in that blessing, which is, You will walk again. And uh, I, there I was, uh, doing exactly what he told me to do. And those words have had a huge impact on my life. I'm grateful for the word. I'm grateful for the words that we have in the scriptures and the word himself that when we lay hold upon that Word, uh, it can give us a pattern for living and for happiness, which is what I think this whole experience was for me.
2: How can I learn to lay hold upon the Word? Well, let me
0: start there with uh, what keeps us from doing so. And yes, sin, and yes, all of the other things that you'd put on that list, but I think one of the plagues of today is distraction. I think we're distracted are distracted so much that we don't get into practice of laying hold upon the word. It doesn't become a pattern. It doesn't become something that's active in our life. You know, I once heard someone give a talk about change your life in 30 minutes. And I would say there is a change your life, your spiritual life in 30 minutes story out there. And that is 30 minutes every day, uh, 30 minutes every day of reading the word, And then putting into practice what Alma 37 says, which is just like the liahona, when you had faith that it could guide you in the way that you should walk, it turned on. And then if you were not slothful, nor forget to follow the words, meaning the opposite of that is you were quick to observe and put those words to action in your life, it will become a liahona unto you. This pattern of, Laying hold upon the Word, putting it into action quickly can become a pattern for salvation. But I think one of the things that stands in our way today is just the sheer distraction of the world.
1: You know, McKay, you shared with us uh, on occasion uh, a story from your family, which kind of reminds me of this lesson of laying hold upon the Word, because you went through a horrible experience, and it seems like it was around, at least in the Christmas season. Tell us about that, because you were given some words— that you had to lay hold on immediately.
0: I was a young man. Uh, we had three children. Oldest was six. My daughter, Jared, was four, and we had a baby. We had put everybody in the car. We lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. We were driving across town to look at some Christmas lights that had put, been put up in a park. On our way home, the kids had laid down in their seats. They were asleep, uh, and I was driving through a, on a country road. It was just starting to snow. And this country road had a big winding turn. As I approached the turn, I was going about 55 miles an hour. As I approached the turn, a car, another car going in the opposite direction came around the turn and veered into my lane. I had no time to react. Couldn't brake. I tried to turn. I turned the car maybe slightly, but it happened so quickly that, and he came into my lane so quickly, just wandered so fast that I hardly had any time to react. Uh, there was a huge collision. Um, We flew up into the air and we came down. And when we came down, we were tilted on our right side. The left side of the car was up. Uh, And I was just knocked silly. I couldn't even get my wits about me. Uh, I could hear what was going on, but I couldn't open my eyes. I could hear uh, my daughter crying in the back seat. Uh, She was screaming. I heard my wife, Jennifer, undo her seatbelt and walk back in the van. But I could not respond. I was just, I was, I was dazed. Finally, when I, I could get my wits about me and open my eyes, I asked Jen if the kids were okay. And she said, no. She said, you need to go get help. The van, as I said, was tipped to its side. And I literally, I looked down and I saw a bumper and I thought we were on top of this man's car. And I thought of this person's car, I thought, oh, they're dead because we're sitting right on top of them. Well, I climbed out of the car. I couldn't walk. I had a broken foot. Um, But I did my best and I realized we were in a ditch. And yes, his bumper was sitting there. But when I looked down the road, his car was, it was a Mustang and his car was, the front two tires were in the ditch and he was trying to back his car up as quickly as he could. And I assumed he was trying to leave the scene of the accident. So I ran down to the car, uh, ran, I hobbled down to the car and said, look, if you're if you feel well enough to try and back your car up, you need to go down to that house and get some help because my kids are hurt. So I got back to the car, and bless his heart, he did. He went for help. The ambulance arrived. The fire department arrived. They, uh, uh, Jen, Jen, and I, and the baby, uh, and Kristen were we were we were out of the car. But Jared was Jared was hurt. My son. We sat in the warm ambulance, and the fire department used the jaws of life to get into the van and uh, cut Jared out. And uh, we were all in the ambulance and they slid Jared in and he was on the stretcher and he had the big block around his neck and his head was taped to to the stretcher. And he had this huge smile on his face. And I wondered what he was smiling about. And back in the day, we used to watch this little movie. He and I rescue nine one one. And he thought it was the coolest thing in the world that the fire department had extracted him from the, from the, from the car. And he was part of this whole exercise. Well, a few minutes later, they slid the man in, uh, on a stretcher as well, even though he had gone for help, he must've been injured. And they had him in a neck brace and they put his stretcher in next to ours. And the fireman said, I hope you don't mind, but We're trying to keep him warm until the next um, ambulance arrives. As he laid there and I looked at Jared, Jared wasn't smiling then. Um, I could tell he was hurt. My wife later would look like she was in a beauty pageant. The seatbelt was marks on her were completely black and blue. I would have a a fractured neck. Uh, My son, they said it was just like someone took a baseball bat and hit him in the head. And uh, I thought, It was, And it was obvious he was drinking. The minute he was put in the ambulance, you could tell that he had been drinking. And I thought, you were driving drunk and you almost killed us. And I started to think in my mind, all the things that I was going to do, press charges, whatever, started to think in my mind because of what he had done to us that night. And then I had this little bit of inspiration, perhaps the words came to my mind, McKay let it go. And I just did. Um, From that point on, I just said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. The police officers came in and asked me later if I wanted to press charges. I left it to them. The insurance company said, no, you should get an attorney. You can make a lot of money here. I left it to them. Uh, And I just felt like I received those words because it was going to be a blessing to me to not have to worry and stress about what was happening on the other side. But what I learned later in my life was those words had a purpose because there have been many times in my life where I've had to let it go. And I've always reflected back on that time, and I thought to myself, if I can let it go then, I can let it go now. And it's been a great blessing to me. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, both of those experiences, how the Lord uses a little bit of tragedy to teach us what we need to learn if we'll listen, right?
2: In such powerful ways. And then recently, your mother died, and there was a great lesson for you there as well.
0: My mom was a do-it-now person throughout her life. If we went to church and they said, you should hold family home evening tomorrow night and talk about this topic, we did. If we went to church and they said, you should serve at the church forum on Tuesday, we did. She was quick to observe. She was fast her whole life. And when she passed away a few weeks ago, she was prepared to meet God. She was ready. Uh, Early in her life, Uh, She had an experience that has taught me the power of laying hold upon the word. Um, She grew up in a pretty rough household. My grandfather was an army mechanic, and he swore, and he was rough, and he was mean, and he smoked like an army mechanic would. And uh, saying, I love you, was not something that ever happened in their household. She went to Sunday school one day, and her Sunday school teacher told her that uh, challenged all the kids to go home and tell their parents that they loved them. Well, my mom knew this wasn't going to happen, so she stuck around until after the Sunday school class was over, and she told her her Sunday school teacher, "I can't do this." And her Sunday school teacher said, "Lois, you especially, you need to tell your parents that you love them, and your father, especially your father, needs to hear it." So she went home scared, but decided that she would give it a try and the week went by and it was Saturday night and she knew she had to go back to Sunday school the next day and she wanted to do what her teacher told her to do. So her dad came home from work and it was later in the evening and he was at the stove warming up some dinner, smoking a cigarette and his back was to her and he was facing the stove and she was sitting in the kitchen at the kitchen table and she mustered up the courage and said, dad, I love you. And he didn't move. He, and she thought, well, didn't hear me. She said it again, Dad, I love you. This time, that big, gnarly bear of a man, it was my grandfather, turned and he was crying. And she walked over to him. And for the first time in her life, he put his arms around her and said, I love you too, sis, and kissed her on top of the head. Now, the funny thing is, When I knew my grandfather, and when I'd go over to his house, there were no cigarettes on the stove, and he was a faithful member of the church and would later be a temple worker. And every time I saw him, he would walk over to me, put his arms around me, and tell me that he loved me. And I like to think that the Lord knew that that Sunday school teacher needed to share those words and that my mom would lay hold upon those words. And it just might be the start of my grandfather becoming who he he was supposed to become. There's power when you lay hold even on the small words that come your way in life.
1: So, McKay, how do you continue to exercise the kind of faith that you've learned through these experiences uh, when you face your daily challenges? How do you continue to make that connection with God, uh, knowing what you know Obviously, you've had these what could be horrible experiences or wonderful experiences, and you've taken them for that latter approach. How do you continue to connect with your Heavenly Father and with the Savior?
0: Well, I'm far from perfect, but I have this testimony, and the testimony is this, that God has great things prepared for each of us, and He loves to bless. I think sometimes we have the wrong perception of him, that maybe heaven is hesitant to bless, and it only does so in a stingy manner based on whether we live perfectly or we don't. And I think that is far from the truth. I think God and our Savior loves to bless. And if we will just exercise a particle of faith, just a little faith, and lay hold upon whatever is before us, even in small ways, I know he will help us to become who we're supposed to become. I have no doubt there's someone who may be listening to this wondering, man, does God really love me, and can I really do what's in front of me? But I will tell you he does. Uh, I've learned that in my life, uh, that he, just like Elder Uchtdorf says, has these gifts falling from heaven. And if we'll just turn to Him in some small way and exercise faith in, in Him and His Word, uh, we can, in fact, find our place and the path we're supposed to walk. You know, it's interesting that I think sometimes in life we're get going down our path and we look around and, and we see that, wow, people are following us. You know, and we forget that, as the Scripture says, We're to put up signs, we're to put up markers, we're to put up guideposts for those that will follow us in our life. And words do that. The words that we're studying right now and come follow me are guideposts and signs that those who have come before us have left for us. And I don't think they're left there by mistake. I think they're left there for us to know the path and what we're supposed to do. Uh, And we find ourselves as leaders We can use our words to help others, just like you're doing in this podcast. We can use our words to encourage, to exercise faith, to be a blessing to others. Just think about Stan on the farm that day, prepared to give a blessing, uh, changed the life of a young man uh, through his words. Uh, So we can be of help and of benefit to those in our life as we share our words of faith with others.
1: I was thinking about Stan <laughs> right before you said that, because he had to have his wits about him to see this young boy smashed on, on the field there, the sod field. Uh, I I mean, you just would have to be calm, you'd, ha- and especially to start making all these pronouncements. That was clearly given as a gift directly from the Lord to you.
0: I think he felt it. I I have never talked to Stan about it, but I think he felt it so strongly uh, that he was going to put his faith ahead of the obvious circumstances in front of him, and he was going to declare it. It was a very faith-filled action on his part.
2: Well, this has been a wonderful time together, McKay, and thank you for sharing these stories. It does make us want to lay hold upon that word and never let go. I think sometimes we are tempted to let go, maybe one finger at a time, and we don't even realize that we're letting go of that word. But holding on to that word is our absolute joy in life. This has been the meridian magazine how i know podcast with mckay christensen we'd like to thank jenny oaks baker for the music that accompanies this and michaela proctor hutchins our producer thank you so much for being with us